Hi, I'm Ben Rizzuto, wealth strategist at Janice Henderson Investors. Is a brighter future possible? At Janice Henderson, we think it is. For 90 years, we've worked to help clients achieve superior financial outcomes and fulfill our purpose of investing in a brighter future together. We know that this means our thinking and our investments are helping to shape millions of futures. At Janice Henderson, we are committed to helping you invest in a brighter future for the next 90 years and beyond. To learn more, go to JaniceHenderson.com. Right now on Fast, breaking news from Walmart. Shares plunging after the company slashed its profit outlook for the current quarter and fiscal year. The retailer saying operating income could drop double digits in Q2. I'm Melissa Lee. This is Fast Money Live from the Nasdaq market site on the desk tonight. Guy Nami, Tim Seymour, Karen Feinerman. And Dan Nathan, let's get right to it. Shares of Walmart are down sharply at this hour, down about 8%. The company is saying food inflation was double digits in Q2 and that currency headwinds are taking a billion-dollar bite out of net sales. The other big box retailers, Target, Costco, dollar stores, they're all dropping in sympathy in the after-hour session. What a bombshell guy. Uh, and, and we should remind people that when they reported their, their first quarter, they took down guidance for the second quarter. So here we are again. Yeah, so what is that, a month and a half, two months later? Was that May 17th to now? And not, they didn't take it down. I mean, that's, I would submit, that's slashing already slash guidance. So, you know, we can try to trade Walmart around this, but I think the question is, and I'm sure you're asked, what does it mean uh, on a bigger picture? I mean, they're feeling the effects of inflation. Clearly, they said it. A billion-dollar currency headwind, okay, for a company that does $600 billion a year in revenue, it's not a huge issue, but it's an issue for them. It's going to be an issue for others. And all these things we've been talking about are coming front and center with Walmart. So, you know, Walmart down, what is it? I think 9% or so in the mm-hmm. aftermarket. You can make an argument that once they cut full year guidance or next year's you know, numbers come into about 6 bucks, you know, maybe this is a stock that's still too expensive on valuation. And valuation, which was never seemingly a concern, will suddenly become one. Uh, it, it is amazing, I think, <laughs> that there is still guidance for the full year, Tim. Um, this notion of sticking to guidance seems like um, just a fool's errand at this point, given how quickly things are changing. Well, we debate that all the time and the company's ability to do that. And for retailers, look, Walmart's arguably the most sophisticated retailer in the world. Um, their inability to get that second quarter forecast right, uh, but their discussion about inventory levels and inability to get that right was part of what took the stock down already dramatically. When you think about uh, they are just guiding that full year. So second quarter uh, down 12 to 14 percent, full year down 11 to 13 percent in operating income. Th- those are big hits. OK, those are big hits. And again, full year. And, and a lot of it seems like they're going to take that hit in the second quarter. We talked about the markdowns in the inventory. Uh, we talked about the, the shift in terms of merchandise and what they're spending on. And, and look, these headlines after hour talk about the impact of inflation and gas prices on their consumer. Um, question is, is this yesterday's news? If we think a lot of that stuff, the worst is behind us. Uh, I think the inability to assess their business is part of what's most troubling here. But we have to give them, uh, whether it's a pass or not, this is as difficult of an environment as retailers have ever faced. True. And if Walmart's doing this and having this much difficulty, imagine what scores of other non-best-in-class you know, right. retailers are doing or how they're grappling with the situation. Karen, you've actually been trading this in the after hours. I have. I actually was selling some Target right on the heels of this. That um, 
I can't imagine they are escaping the big picture issues that Walmart has. We know they had the similar or worse. And that inventory problem was worse for Target going into. I don't know why they announced it now. I don't know if it's because they accelerated price cuts. I'm not really sure. But so the guidance they have on the second quarter, that's fine because that's going to end, you know, this week. So um, but I totally agree with you. I don't understand why they feel the need to give guidance for the rest of the year when we see what a challenging environment is. It is and how things can change very quickly. But the part that I think bodes particularly poorly, especially for Target, is the mix and how much the consumer is spending on food, which leaves a lot less money for the higher margin items like apparel. Walmart specifically cited apparel, which is a good margin area for Target. So it doesn't bode so well for them. The reason I sold Target, not Walmart, is I have a lot more dollars in Target than I do in Walmart. So I imagine we'll trade down. I think it's actually continuing to trade down uh, mm -hmm. last I looked. And um, I don't know if they're going to feel compelled to say anything else. Um, but, I mean, it, it clearly doesn't bode well for a lot of categories. I don't know if they're just going to slash as much as they need to and blow out all of the inventory. But it's just hard to see how, you know, they're giving us some color on back to school, which is good that that started out okay. But I don't know how they can have a, a lot of confidence in their color for the holidays. Right. Um, Karen hit on a key point, and that is Walmart was talking about how higher food, higher fuel costs are changing the way their consumers spend their money. Karen mentioned the higher, you know, margin sort of areas like apparel. When you take a look at a lot of the retailers in the after-hour session, they're getting hit, no surprise. <laughs> Names like a Macy's, a Kohl's, all these other stores, Dan, which may be experiencing the very same things. Yeah, it feels like this is all kind of coming together at once. So we've been talking about maybe inflation peaked, right? And so when you think about this quarter and the guidance that they just gave, they, they're really talking about multiple headwinds that have all collided at once. And the one thing that we just haven't spent a lot of time talking about is this consumer in the U.S. that had obviously um, tremendous benefits, sadly, during 2020 and for the better part of 2021. All that stuff is starting to come unwound. Well, financial conditions in general have become a lot tighter. And we we haven't really even seen a meaningful pickup in unemployment. So when you think about this guidance and, and we're talking about the sort of visibility they have going forward, just because you cut prices doesn't mean that you're going to create um, greater demand, even into a period that's going to include back to school and then the holidays. We're starting to see subprime auto loans um, pick up, you know, default rates, excuse me. Um, we're already seeing the rents that won't budge. I mean, there's a whole host of things here. I think if you're thinking about earnings season and we weren't meant to process this information from Walmart until mid-August, okay? So the fact that we're getting it two and a half weeks early is definitely kind of interesting in the broader landscape of some of the, like, the guidance that we're expecting to get here. And so to me, I just don't think it paints a particularly great um, you know, picture for the U.S. consumer right now. And I don't feel like this is the sort of report that's going to change itself in a quarter or so. Expectations, you know, for the balance of the year relative to where the stock is trading about 20 times. Now, obviously, it's going to be less um, it, with earnings estimates coming down and the stock down here. Analysts are still off sides on this thing. There's 32 buys, only um, eight holes and no sell. So I su suspect you're going to see a lot of downgrades, too. Well, the lower the lower the stock goes, maybe the cheaper, more of a value it gets. You know, before it reported earnings guy, Walmart was a $148 stock. So there's a big difference mm -hmm. between a $148 stock and where it is now at 120, knowing some of the warts that the you know that that the quarter holds for us at this point. Um, 
Do you think that's still a moving target, though? Absolutely. I mean, traded down, I think, 117 was the 52-week low, I think, on June 15th or 16th. You have to go back and check. But it actually traded lower than we're currently trading you know, a month or so ago. But to your point, all of this now becomes a moving target. But again, it speaks to the conversation we've been having for quite some time. You know, what is the right multiple for the market in this environment that continues seemingly to deteriorate? And inflation is insidious, it's insipid, and it's everywhere. And now you're starting to hear the, the ramifications of it with the biggest effectively retailer in the world, or one of them, in yeah. Walmart. And again, it's not going to be Walmart specific. You know, it's Walmart will be the first with this type of guide, but I almost can categorically guarantee they will not be the last. Well, it reported first when it came to the retail earnings, and then Target came out with its own bombshell. So we'll see if, if Target follows. Let's get more on this all with uh, Courtney Reagan, who, of course, is our retail reporter. Courtney, great to have you with us. Is there any difference in how Target dealt with this inventory that may save it from having another warning on the same quarter versus Walmart? They seem to be really aggressive at the get-go in issuing their, you know, this warning right after their quarter, saying we're going to mark down and we're going to take our guidance down. Yeah, and I, I've been thinking through that, Melissa, too, in the last, what, less than an hour or so since we got this move from Walmart, news from Walmart. And I would say one perhaps key difference between Walmart and Target, yes, they're both multi-category, but remember about 55% give and take of Walmart's total sales come from grocery. At Target in any given quarter, it's only about 20%. And that category is the category that is strong for Walmart, this consumables, the grocery. They talked about food inflation being up double digits, but still making gains in grocery. Of course, that's lower margin. Target has actually played fairly well in that apparel game in their own private labels, but they still had to discount that to move it. So in a way, it could be harder on Target than on Walmart. And maybe that's why Target had to come out so quickly, to your point, after the end of their quarter, when we saw that when they saw that these things were not changing in their favor and were not changing quickly in their favor. I cannot remember the last time that Walmart came out with a warning like this intra-quarter. I reached out to the company to see if they confirm can confirm when indeed that happened. So that is what caught me by surprise. I think it's very interesting, of course, that Walmart is able to take up their revenues and their comps above where they previously guided and above the streets estimates. But of course, doing so at the lower margin category mixes. So that's where you get that hit to the profit for the full year. But that's still actually quite interesting. At least they have that grocery and they have that as a traffic driver for a consumer that is more sensitive to higher cost inflation when it comes to food and uh, the, the price of gasoline. Of course, we know that Walmart and Sam's Club sell some gasoline at some location. So maybe that's helping shoppers buy what they have to buy in stores. But very interesting moves. I will point out, too, it is CFO John uh, John David Rainey's first quarter as CFO for Walmart. He joined from PayPal and as CFO at United Airlines before that. So quite an interesting quarter. And the Walmart's U.S. CEO said at the end of the first quarter that there was about 20 percent of inventory that he wished he could just make go away. So it's not as if we didn't know that Walmart had an excess of inventory and we could kind of guess what kind of inventory they had too much of. And, and now it just looks like they're really quantifying the impact that it's having on the quarter. All right. Courtney, thanks for the color. Courtney Reagan with us. Um, I, I don't know, Karen, do you think that Target stands a chance in terms of escaping this in a little better fashion? <clears throat> 
uh, it's hard to see how they escape completely. I'm wondering if Target feels like they're going to miss also, does this give them any cover to pre-announce? They don't have to pre-announce. Even if they're going to miss, they don't have to pre-announce. But uh, it just sort of makes me wonder. It's that issue, that mix issue that's so important for Target. And um, so it really doesn't bode poorly. The one thing that Target does have a meaningful advantage over Walmart is that they are a U.S. and Canada-centric company. So to the extent that the dollar is strong, that's a benefit for them as they source outside of the U.S. and sell in U.S. dollars. So that's a little bit of a tailwind relative to Walmart. But um, and the valuation is very different. So right. I'm going to buy it back. I don't know tomorrow or the next day, but I'll buy it back um, mm -hmm. because I think that it'll get penalized somewhat as much. And the, the P.E. ratio is already dramatically lower. Yeah. Um, let's get more on this. With us now on the Fast Line, Bill Simon, former Walmart U.S. CEO. Bill, great to have you back. Thanks for calling in. Um, you know, Courtney was saying that she was trying to figure out when the last time this happened was. I mean, what's your take on this? It just seems so unusual for Walmart to do this. Yeah, hey, I was listening to Courtney, and I was thinking the same thing. It has to be eight or ten years. I, I can't. I know, I know we did it once when I was there, and I've been gone for a long time, so... Uh, you know, in, in, you know, an interperiod warning like that is 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 very uncommon for Walmart. Yeah, you call the inventory overhang on Walmart apocalyptic at one point, <laughs> um, yep. and and I'm wondering, Bill, you know, it, it, is the worst behind Walmart in your sense? Is there a reason why you think the company insists on sticking to guidance such as it's maintaining U, maintaining U.S. comp store sales growth? in the back half of the year. Why are they sticking with guidance? Why are they issuing full-year guidance if things have gotten away from them within a matter of weeks? Well, I actually think this is what they needed to do. Uh, you know, I think they just owned up to it and decided to take the same decisive action that it looks like Target took already, too. And, uh, you know, as far as the, the comp sales guidance, you know, uh, I think Courtney was saying as well, the food business is over 50% of Walmart's business. And with double-digit inflation in food, a 6% same-store sales, double-digit inflation, that's pretty much where the growth is. Um, and so I, I think I think it's fairly easy to predict the same-store sales when you know you're going to have 8 or 9% uh, you know, price inflation in, in the product that you're selling. Hey, Bill, it's Tim Seymour. Uh I appreciate the fact that, that you're not the analyst that, you know, what we do is we're supposed to give you the sense of whether a company's valuation has been given too much of a haircut. But when I see a company like Walmart get out in front and, and aggressively mark down on hardline and apparel, um, it, does that warrant the kind of 15 to 20 percent haircut on the value of the company um, when, in fact, you know, we are hearing about inflation, we are hearing about gas and food prices, but we're not hearing the company tell you uh, the consumer's fallen off the map. And in fact, they're, they're telling you that their sales next year um, are going to be better and higher and 6% even for the second quarter. Yeah, I wouldn't think so. To be honest with you, you know, this is what good business people do. And Walmart's in a financially secure enough position to be able to take the action that needs to do to correct the problem so that it doesn't become a multi-year issue that, 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 that you know, creates a severe impact on the long-term evaluation. Um, so, yeah, this is what you're supposed to do. You, 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 you recognize the problem, you own up to it, and you take action that's decisive and fix it. Bill, inflation hasn't been a problem in this country. I mean, it, just in terms of the numbers, it's, it's a different conversation in terms of reality. But effectively, since 1970s or thereabout, a lot of these uh, 
a lot of these people that run companies have never seen this type of environment and they're struggling to deal with it. So I guess my question to you is, I think this can last a lot longer than people think just for that fact alone that people haven't been able to navigate an environment like this in quite some time. Well, I think you're probably right to a certain extent. Uh, inflation, you know, is something that at this level that, gosh, in this country we haven't dealt with maybe ever at this rate, at this velocity. And then you sort of combine that with rising gas, gas prices, uh, which, you know, in Walmart, you know, they, they, they analyze everything. And in the total analysis of everything, it's, it's gas prices that really drive um, that drives the, the sales shortfall and the sales changes at Walmart because the, the consumer, their consumer in particular, is so sensitive to gas prices. But, it, you know, to me, I think it's encouraging that we're still seeing employment at the rate that it's at. So, you know, we're able to fund the and, and maybe in, maybe fund or fuel the inflation by by the high employment level. So I think I think we, we have to figure out, you know, where this cycle ends. And, you know, all of the all of the, the, the pundits will tell you that we've, we're, we're nowhere near where we need to be yet on interest rates to slow the inflation rate. Yeah, I mean, given given the task that the Fed has on hand, and, and this is a very appropriate conversation given the Fed is meeting this week, Bill, uh, just knowing that the Fed has to do this and fight inflation and that the side effect could be higher employment, higher unemployment, excuse me, does that concern you about Walmart. I mean, on the one hand, you're going to tame inflation. At the other, on the other hand, you're going to impair the consumer by putting him or her out of work. How does this affect Walmart, in your view? Well, I think with Walmart is is the nation's largest grocer um, and the best you know best price in the market on groceries. You know, they're they're better positioned than most retailers to survive this and 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 to actually thrive on it. They, you know, their their consumer is impacted severely, but they also see. An increase in consumers that trade down from the, the higher-priced grocers as, as inflation continues. So, um, you know, they've they've built a very very broad business and and find a way have found a way through good economic times and difficult economic times to be relevant. Right. And, and last quick question, Bill. The last time you were on, I, I asked you to play a game that we like to play on Fast Money, and that would be Would You Rather. And I asked you Walmart or Target, and specifically when it comes to the ability to to you know whether this inventory problem, morass, shall we call it, um, better, and, and which one do you think is the better retailer here? Same question at this point, now that Walmart has come out and warned on the second quarter. Oh, man, that's so not fair. Um, <laughs> guess I'd, I'd rather be retired now than either one. Is that a, is that a, point? Is that a good thing? So neither. <laughs> no, I actually think they're both going to be really strong. I think they're both going to recover from it well. They both have good leadership. They both have good market position, and they both know exactly what they need to do and seem to be doing it. So, they'll they'll take this opportunity, both of them, to reposition themselves and and to make sure that they're relevant to their customers. If I had to pick one, if you're going to force me, I still like Target because they don't have that exposure to the lower margin food, and they have the ability to liquidate some of that inventory with a little bit higher uh, higher um, income customer. Always appreciate your candor and analysis, Bill. Thank you for joining us. You bet. Bill Simon, former Walmart, Walmart U.S. CEO. Dan Nathan, what do you say? Uh, well, somebody got tipped off to this, Mel. The most active option that was traded today in Walmart was the July 29th, this Friday, expiration, 130 puts. 13,300 of them traded, huh. a lot of them in the last hour of the day. Wow. Um, and there was only 348 open interest, and that's about $900,000 in premium. 
if the stock were to open uh, here tomorrow, you could see what the sort of gains would be. So I'm not a fan of unusual activity. I don't think that's a thing. I do think it's a thing, though, when people have a tip and they're trading off of it in the last hour of the day before a very unusual announcement, as you just detailed, Mel. This is not a common event for Walmart. So there's going to be more uh, to talk about as it relates to that options purchase. That is interesting because, I, yeah, as you said, you do not like unusual activity as any sort of indicator. But that much in the last hour, that is eyebrow-raising, Karen. Yeah, it definitely is. I mean, we did see an insider trading thing uncovered today. I mean, I don't know. If you did know that, it's so dumb, it seems. But uh, just, I mean, can it be worth it? I feel like you'll spend more in lawyer fees alone regardless of the outcome. So I don't get it. Excellent, excellent sighting, though, Dan. Yeah. Interesting. It's like a PSA. Don't insider trade. (laughs) Coming up, we've got our eyes on a couple of earnings movers this afternoon. Shares of Whirlpool and NXP Semi on the move after reporting. We'll bring you the numbers next. Plus, it's not just a busy week of earnings. We are counting down to this week's big Fed meeting. How aggressive will the central bank be with its rate hikes this year? We'll dig into Powell's next play when Fast Money returns. The spirit of performance defines Acura, and now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura has been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Wouldn't it be great to have all your investment and retirement accounts in one place? Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, makes it easy. I use it to put my investment account and 401k accounts into one hub and get expert tips that help me confidently manage my money. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. Whether you're a seasoned investor or are looking for that extra guidance, Yahoo Finance gives you all the tools and data you need in one place. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. Securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including 401k and other investments. A comprehensive perspective is what sets apart great investors, and it's how Yahoo Finance ensures you have the insight to look at your wealth in its entirety. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got an earnings alert on NXP Semi. The shares are down despite this uh, company reporting a revenue beat. Christina Parsonevelis has got the details. Christina. 
Well, NXP fundamentals are actually holding up. The company posting a small revenue beat, like you mentioned, but and its outlook is not a wavering either. Q through revenue guidance was slightly higher than anticipated. Keep in mind that NXP gets over 50% of its revenue from the auto end market, which helps offset weakness from PC and handset sales, a problem we know hitting so many other semiconductor firms. And if we break down the revenue for an NXP, you can see that's exactly where it missed, mobile sales. Channel inventory levels were also up slightly quarter over quarter, but flat year over year easing some concerns of that inventory correction that we're going to be getting. And then Q3 gross margin guidance was a touch lower than anticipated at 57.8%. As for the future, though, NXP CEO says, quote, customer demand within the auto and industrial as well as Internet of Things and or Internet of Things and markets continue to exceed our incremental improving supply, even as we risk adjust our long term orders. The company plans to capitalize on the strength of the e-market. EV market, electric vehicles, announcing just last week a partnership with Apple supplier Foxconn to build EV platforms. Nonetheless, shares are lower in the in the after hours. All right, Christina, thank you. Christina Parts and Evelis. Guy, what'd you make of this quarter? Revenue beat is good. Um, revenue guidance is good. People are going to look at EPS miss according to where they were versus expectations. But you know, when I wrap the whole thing up, margins held up in there. They're in the right businesses. And even with all these moving parts, you're talking about a company that's probably trading 13 times or so next year's earnings at current price. So I actually think it's okay. I understand why people are selling it. But if you're looking for a decent valuation stock, I think you can find it in NXP. Yeah. Tim, you agree? Well, I, I, I totally agree on valuation. The one thing that worries about me about NXPI, especially in the context of what we just talked about with Walmart and Target, is that 80% of their, of their product requires a 52-week lead time. So when you think about uh, some of those dynamics and really where we could end up, yes, they, they've talked about lead and channel inventories, and I think they were you know, one and a half months or, or so last quarter and said that's getting better. Um, this, this is the problem. And, and, and the lead time here, again, 52-week lead time on ordering, wow, that's, that's really tough to predict. And, and I don't think you need to chase this one here. Yeah. All right. There is a, a lot more to come here on Fast. Here's what's coming up next. Are more rate hikes on the horizon? Investors bracing for this week's big Fed meeting. So what can we expect out of Powell and the central bank? The details next. Plus, fast foodflation. McDonald's earnings on deck. And there's some supersized headwinds in focus. We'll bite into how options traders are ordering this one up next. You're watching Fast Money, live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. We're back right after this. Hi, I'm Ben. I suffer from a condition called writer's block. It strikes when I'm at work. That's why I choose Canva Magic Write. It works fast generating texts in seconds thanks to AI. Common side effects include increased productivity, compliments from coworkers, feelings of satisfaction. Now I can say bye-bye to writer's block. Ask your boss if Canva Magirite is right for you at canva.com, designed for work. Canva! What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager.
Welcome back to Fast Money. Let's get another check on our top story of the night. Walmart shares plunging. They're down 9.5% right now. The big box retailer cutting its quarterly and full-year guidance, citing inflation pressures and dollar headwinds. Walmart seeing shoppers spending more on things like food and less on higher margin items, items like clothing and electronics. And inflation is just one of the major reports Wall Street is bracing for this week. The list also includes Wednesday's Fed decision and second quarter GDP on Thursday. It's been a witch's brew that could set the direction for interest rates. Let's bring in Megan Swiber, U.S. rate strategist at B of A Global Research. She's also a former New York Fed senior analyst. Great to have you with us. Thank you so much for having me. You think 75 basis points is in the cards and the Fed's going to become um, less hawkish? Why? Yeah, I think that that's the story here. Um, I think 75 basis points is pretty much a done deal. Uh, If the Fed wanted to do 100 basis points, they probably would have signaled that before the blackout period. But communication going in really very much so endorsed the fact they're only going to be doing 75 basis points. And I say only with a little bit of a grin because it is still such a huge rate hike as they're still on this race to get rates back to neutral. Why would they become less hawkish, though? I mean, we just heard from Walmart. We were, we were telling the viewers again about this, the story. You know, consumers are, are feeling deeply the impact on inflation. Those pressures are still there. The Fed's fight is, is not near over at this point. So why indicate that they're less hawkish? I mean, that's, that's such a good point here, too. But inflation is this double-edged sword, right? On one hand, the Fed really needs to get moving, continue to raise rates above that neutral rate to curb growth curb curb, excuse me, curb growth and also curb inflation. But on the other hand, inflation is already doing some of this work in terms of slowing growth and slowing demand for them. So the Fed has to be pretty mindful here as they get rates already pretty close to that neutral rate, how much further they want to go from here, because this does, of course, risk sending the U.S. economy into a recession. Hey, Megan, it's Tim Seymour. Thank you for joining us. I guess my question is uh, on that neutral rate and, and how much they have to exceed really expectations to to get through some of the psychological fi- findings that, that we are we are all learning about inflation and really where the Fed has has acted in the past. Yeah, I mean, it's honestly the question that's top of mind to every bond investor right now. Um, in our view, we think the Fed's probably going to top out between three and a quarter, three and a half percent, which will happen by December this year. Um, and we think that as they approach this neutral range, which the Fed, to be frank, honestly doesn't know what neutral necessarily represents themselves, they think of that as that range between two and a half, three percent. But as they're creeping towards that, and will probably do um, once they hike 75 basis points this week, they need to be a little bit more mindful of what they're doing to the economy because they're already applying that needed pressure to slow growth. I mean, just look at the housing market, right? With mortgage rates at 6%, that's already doing a lot of the work um, that, that we need to see to slow that's to slow demand. Um, and financial conditions have tightened pretty materially over the past few months with the Fed just guiding the market to needing to get above neutral. Um, your commentary about what you think um, the average person is going to do in terms of pulling out money from the stock market, putting it into sort of the safer areas mm-hmm. like even cash. Um, why, why do you, I mean, savings rates still haven't 
gone much higher. <laughs> if you take a look at savings rates in New York, even at Bank of America in, in New York City, I mean, it's like 0.01%. So what, what is, is, is it such a fear about equities markets at this point that that's going to grip consumers and investors? Yeah, I mean, it's a good question. And this is the portfolio balance effect. This is how the Fed actually implements monetary policy, right? By raising rates that, that pulls investors into more safe haven assets. Um, and as you mentioned, the front end probably is not seeing this you know, impact quite yet. But as the Fed moves rates higher, certainly closer to that three, three and a half percent threshold, we are going to see money, money, um, excuse me, interest rates that are going to be earning on very liquid cash savings will increase. And that will pull people to down the risk spectrum into more risk free assets. I mean, while you may not be getting a very high interest rate on the very front end, on very on very front end cash, we have seen tenure rates really move very notably higher um, really over the past year. And this is doing its job to help slow the economy, slow growth, and really kind of pull investors down that risk spectrum away from risky assets. Um, and this is what the Fed needs to see happen to do its job. This is what they need to see happen in order to cool that demand and, of course, cool that inflation. All right, Megan, great to speak with you. Thanks for your time. Thanks so much for having me. Megan Swiber of Bank of America. All right, uh, Dan, I was going to say, what do you think the Fed should do? Actually, I'm not sure. I thought I knew the answer to that before asking you in terms of what you would say, but now I'm not sure. Yeah, I mean, listen, I actually agree with a lot of what you just said. I mean, I think the Fed should kind of hit it hard. They have to if they surprise to the downside 50 basis points. I don't think that'll be great for equities, to be very frank with you. But I do think that they've already set the course in action for quantitative tightening. So they're not going to change that. Might they kind of leave the door open a little bit? We know they're going to have Jackson Hole at the end of next month and then the September meeting. And might there be a pivot if the data gets increasingly weak, if we start seeing worse um, housing data, if we start seeing the stock market? kind of retest those lows from June. If we start seeing unemployment tick up, yeah, they will. Um, But I don't think they're going to make huge changes to QT because that would really be, I think, a problem. They need to kind of follow through with what they said they're going to do on rates and then the balance sheet and then really be data dependent. So again, I don't think that we're going to get a lot of clear cut answers um, this week. But I do think that S&P 500 is probably going to be retesting those prior lows, not because of what the Fed's doing, more because the economy is weakening quicker than some investors think and down 17 percent on the year. I just don't think is enough to encapsulate everything that's going on with this economy and is likely to go on between now and the balance of the year. Guy, we all know uh, where you stand on the Fed and the job it has done so far. So if you had the opportunity to raise your hand and ask Mr. Powell a question, what would that question be? Mr. Powell, Chairman Powell, respectfully, for years uh, you were looking for, almost begging for higher inflation. Well, you got it. I understand that you can be wrong, but what made any of you think that you could somehow control what you were begging for all along? The hubris associated with that is uh, problematic. It's okay to be wrong. It's not okay to be arrogant. What are your thoughts, Chair Pal? <laughs> Please respond to my insult of you. <laughs> All right, we'll see if that gets asked. Coming up, we're keeping an eye on the after-hours action Walmart and Whirlpool for you. We'll bring you the trade straight ahead. But first, Mickey D's on deck, the fast food chain gearing up to report. But investors are eyeing some big issues for the company. The details when Fast Money returns. 
Welcome back to Fast Money. McDonald's dropping almost 1.5% ahead of earnings tomorrow. The stock has basically been running in place for the last three months. Mickey D's struggling with inflation, supply chain challenges, and a lot of grumpy franchisees. Kate Rogers here to unpack the uh, McDonald's issues. Kate. Hey, Melissa. Well, analysts are expecting EPS of $2.47 on revenues of $5.8 billion for the quarter. Same-store sales projected to increase 6.2% overall and 2.8% here in the U.S. That U.S. number always key as we're watching to see how consumers are reacting to gas prices and inflation in general and if they've started to pull back at all. Now, last quarter, McDonald's executives mentioned some customers looking for lower price point items but said they were also still ordering via delivery, which is more expensive. Grocery inflation also continues to outpace restaurant inflation, which is beneficial to companies like McDonald's, particularly in a downturn. FX headwinds will also be in focus. The company already warned it would be a drag of about 8 to 10 cents on EPS, but some analysts at Cowan and BTIG think it could be even higher this quarter. And the Russian business has been sold off, so an update on that will be key as well. Finally, any mention of franchisee tensions over changes to lease terms that are upcoming and also restaurant grading systems that will start next year will be of note on the analyst call tomorrow. Back over to you. All right, Kate, thanks. Kate Rogers, Tim Seymour, McDonald's. Golden Arches, I, I think they remain very defensive. They've outperformed the S&P by about 11% year to date. Their, their global scale uh, and, and, and dominance, really, and their ability to push through, I think, pricing across the board, um, and not necessarily to their customers, but it's certainly along the supply chain. I, I think McDonald's continues to be very defensive. Those, those U.S. comps have already been downgraded in the last couple of days, but if you think about their consumer, if anything, uh, the value chain is where they, you know, they exist and where I think you're going to see some strength, even some down. Valuation, not at all challenging here. And in fact, uh, starts to look relatively interesting on a, on a five-year comp. Is there a lot of overlap, Tim, with the Walmart consumer base? I don't think so. I mean, I, mm-hmm. I, look, to, to the extent that there's, well, the question is, is, is the overlap is it overlap relative in, in terms of where they, they're, they're going to hit? I mean, they're, the, the grocery prices and Walmart's consumer, uh, I think we just heard, that's not really changing. It's trading down from hard lines and apparel. So um, to the extent that it, it actually may be a similar demographic, uh, I don't think they're going to you know, get hit at going to McDonald's. But that's my yeah. view. Karen, what's your um, read through from a, a McDonald's report to, your, to the investments that you have? Well, I, I can't help think that so, that there is this overlap between the Walmart consumer and the um, McDonald's consumer, and it's probably somewhat a little bit target as well. I mean, McDonald's is a great company. They've been able to navigate so many different environments. The only thing not to like about it, I think, is just the multiple relative to the market at 25 times and the market at 17, 18. I feel like there's not a lot of room for any miss. Um, I know that's not a crazy multiple, but in this environment, it just seems like with all the you know things cited at the beginning, inflation, food costs, supply chain, all of that kind of uh, stuff, and the headwinds from currency. So great company, but not for me. Yep. Well, there's a lot of options action around McDonald's today, and despite the headwinds, traders are loving it. Mike Coe has the action. Mike. Yeah, McDonald's traded more than three times the average daily options volume today. Right now, the options market implying a move of over 3% by the end of the week after they report earnings. That's greater than less than 2% that the company has averaged over the last eight quarters. And the most active contracts were the weekly 265 calls. We saw over 7,000 of those trading. 
for just under 30 cents. Buyers of those are obviously betting that the stock could rally above that 265 strike price. That would be an increase of about 6% by the end of the week. And that's pretty ambitious when one considers that only once in the last 10 years has the stock moved that sharply higher following <laughs> earnings. Once in 10 years. Wow. Um, Mike, um, I know that you watched the options market very closely. I'm wondering if you also saw the, the unusual activity in Walmart options, the weekly options that Dan was citing earlier, and whether you thought that was unusual. Yeah, well, I mean, it's unusual in the sense that it's well above what it trades in general. And it, both of these names, I should say, and Walmart, actually, even more so than McDonald's, trade quite a lot of options activity uh, typically. Now, in some cases, what we have seen is because earnings are already underway, some of the premiums have come in, but the stocks are still moving quite sharply, and I think people are trying to take advantage of that to make levered directional bets. All right. Mike, thanks. For Washington's action, be sure to tune into the full show. That's Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Coming up, we've got a buzzkill for your shares of Newmont Mining losing their luster in today's market. We'll drill down on that move lower next. Welcome back to Fast Money. Newmont shares falling off a cliff today after a huge earnings miss. It was the stock's worst day since 2008. Profit for the second quarter down nearly 41 percent from a year ago, hurt by a drop in gold prices. The mining company's stock has been cut nearly in half since hitting an all-time high in April. Guy, what's your take on this? Remarkable, right? I mean, think about where we were in the spring. Uh, gold seemingly on its horse. Miners doing great. Mm -hmm. And then, listen, the, the things that you stated, but labor and energy costs as well hurting them again so it's not it's it's across a variety of sectors now newmont's not impervious now i would have thought the stock would have been significantly higher than where it closed today on the back of this you know i thought it would be lower but not to the extent that it has been this is one of the worst one-day sell-offs we've seen in probably 20 or so years but it felt to me as if you saw volume capitulation Steve Grasso will talk about the three-day rule, which I totally get. But this is about as oversold as the stock has been in quite some time. Yeah, labor and energy, the biggest input costs for miners pretty much across the board, Tim. I, I was shocked to see how much they emphasized the labor cost thing. It was about, mm -hmm. you know, they were up over one-third in many places and that they don't expect it to come down in 23. It was that kind of a warning and the stickiness uh, of the labor charges and obviously the, the importance of, of that cost input to their business. So I uh, also believe gold prices have been uh, it, it'd been strange in, in that you would have thought gold would have been more resilient in an inflation environment, would have been more resilient uh, as other assets were, were you know, basically under extreme pressure. Um, I think the gold price has a lot to do with the valuation here, but I think the labor costs and the cost side of the business are, are the part that's selling this thing off. Coming up, tonight's big story, Walmart tanking the after hour session and another retailer on the move. we got Whirlpool out with earnings. Retail trade is next. Let's get another check on uh, Walmart after hours down nine and three quarters percent. This after the company cut its guidance for the current quarter and year, setting higher food prices and headwinds from the dollar. Stock is near after hours lows right now. Lowest level, in fact, since June of 2020. Meantime, we've got an earnings alert on Whirlpool. Shares are higher after the company missed in the top line. Let's get back to Courtney Reagan for the details. Court. 
Yeah, this uh, price action is a little confusing after hours here, Mel, because Whirlpool is kind of another indicator flashing some concern for spending, especially here in North America. Overall, Whirlpool's revenues did miss consensus. They're down more than 4%, though currency headwinds responsible for about two percentage points of that. Whirlpool's price increases and more favorable product mix was partially offset by what they call supply chain disruptions and demand slowdown. North America volume, that fell 6%. So those previously executed cost-based price increases were ultimately offset by lower volumes and then elevated cost inflation. Asia and Europe revenues, those relate to Ukraine, another issue for demand in that region. Whirlpool reducing its full-year earnings outlook even after a huge beat this quarter. So the second half implied guidance is well short of consensus. But Mel, as you pointed out, shares are a little higher here after hours. Yep. Court, thank you. Courtney Reagan, um, Karen Feinerman, you owned this once upon a time, maybe years ago. But uh, what do you I think do. of it's still the t I still own some. Okay. Um, you know, it's, uh, it was a mixed quarter, which um, is why it's up, because the expectation was for a not mixed quarter, for a bad quarter. And so, I mean, it's a really, it's proving to be a more resilient business than people thought. They have a good handle on cash flow. I think the guy down was very much expected. So trades at a very cheap multiple. And um, the, the miss in North America, but they did have some strength in other places around the world. They are going to be selling their Americas, maybe. Um, and that'll just strengthen the balance sheet. The balance sheet's in great shape. They continue to buy back stock. And um, so it, it it's in a bad neighborhood, kind of, you know, housing uh, related and supply chain and all of that. Given all that, they did a really good job, I think. So it's not surprising the stock is up on what looked like a mixed quarter. Yeah. Tim? Well, Ford PE under seven makes it attractive on valuation. And, and again, during COVID and during some of the pull forward and some of the demand around staying at home and, and fixing up your house, uh, then they were running into supply chain dynamics. It's unfortunate, but I do think the longer term trajectory of their business is good. And this is a company that over the last five to seven years has really undergone major efficiency gains in terms of uh, their margin. So uh, as Karen said, I, I just think the bad news was priced into this stock coming in. It's why you're getting a bit of a relief on what's not great news. Uh, I'm not sure what the read is into housing. I'm not sure you can make one right here. Is there? What's your view, Guy? Read into housing. I don't know. If, I think this is more read to Tim and Karen's point about just valuation. The fact mm -hmm. that Tim's saying that stock's trading seven times next year's numbers. I mean, even if you give that a haircut, it's still in terms of valuation reasonable. So that probably the damage to the stock has been done from that move from 260 to current levels. So I don't necessarily think this quarter gives you a read. I think it's more read of what are people looking for in terms of stocks and valuations in this environment? Yeah, um, the stock is uh, up 1.4%. Up next, we got your final trades. Take a look at shares of Amazon moving in sympathy on the back of the uh, Walmart warning uh, ahead of its earnings also later this week. Uh, Dan Nathan, I'm wondering what, what your take is on this. Down almost 4% here uh, and whether this is a better setup for earnings. Yeah, much better setup. I mean, the stock did rally from the May lows about 22% or 23%. So the further it comes in before they report, I think the better setup it is. And holding 100 will be imperative after the print. Yep. All right. Down 3.8%. Time for the final trade. Let's go around the horn. Tim Seymour. Pfizer. I think the setup for Pfizer into their earnings this week is fantastic. Their biopharma business continues to grow. Their valuation is very strong. And the chart, very interesting, getting good support off of uh, 50, 100, and 200 day right here. Chairwoman. 
Yes. So if you're intrigued by Walmart's big move down, I would wait. Three-day rule here. So do nothing in Walmart. Dan. Yeah, consumer staples, I continue to think they're overvalued, and we see a retest of the XLP down to 68. Guy. If you want to be defensive with a stock that has some upside potential, Amgen into earnings next week continues to look interesting to me, Melissa Lee. All right. Thank you for watching Fast, everybody. We'll see you back here tomorrow at 5 for more Fast Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx.